That smooth Christian jazz you're hearing means you've tuned in to Same Old Song, the lectionary podcast of Mockingbird Ministries. I'm your co-host, Aaron Zimmerman. I'll be joined by Jacob Smith as each week we break down the lectionary readings for the upcoming Sunday to give you something to think about, and if you're a preacher, to give you something to preach about, and no matter who you are, to give you a connection to the never-changing message of God's grace for actual people like you. Unzip that monogrammed faux leather Bible carrying case and cover, pull up a chair, and let's dig in. Well, here we are, uh, the last episode of Same Old Song for uh, 2019. What a year it's been. How are your holy name preparations going, Aaron? Well, we'll be reenacting a circumcision, uh, so we're preparing the blood packets for that one. I know. So, for those of you that don't know what we're talking about, uh, there are among the many holy days, feast days in the season of Christmas, Christmas tide. One of them is a feast of the holy name, which used to be called the feast of the circumcision of our Lord Jesus Christ, which for obvious reasons was rebranded. Mm. So, uh, you know, there's that whole thing. Eight days after the birth of a of a male Jewish child, uh, he had to be circumcised um, and uh, and and named. And so uh, this was. I really think yeah, we. I really think we would have garnered more attention if we would have stuck with the old name. So um, yep. you know that definitely would draw folks in, and um, uh, I could yeah. still pull out my dull um, sacramental knife and um, <laughs> use it. Interesting on, uh, conversation for the children's uh, sermon that day. <laughs> that's right. Come on up, kids. Look at this knife. So anyway, no. um, um, safe church. Anyway, so, so um, <laughs> yeah. So. So we are uh, recording right now for Sunday, January fifth, which uh, there is a lot going on. Uh, it's the it's the day right before the official feast of the Epiphany, yeah. which is Jan- always January sixth, uh, and it commemorates the arrival of the wise men, the Magi, the kings from the east, with the frankincense, gold, and myrrh. That's January sixth, but because it always comes so close to the second Sunday after Christmas. A lot of these things get mixed up. So if you are a non-Episcopalian revised common lectionary preacher, you have, for this Sunday, the reading from John um, chapter 1, In the Beginning Was the Word. And that's what Jake and I talked about for last episode, which in the Episcopal Church, that reading comes on the first Sunday after Christmas. So if you are a non-Episcopalian RCL preacher, go back to last week, listen to that, and that'll help you with the gospel reading. If you're an Episcopalian, uh, you have two choices for the Sunday. You can either choose the reading that's more about Joseph and Mary presenting Jesus at the temple, Feast of the Holy Name stuff, or you can do the Epiphany more reading, which is the one where uh, the the arrival of the the wise men from the east, or and because, or you can do the one where they flee to Egypt um, and go down into Egypt, but uh, we want to keep it festive, and so we want to do we're going to do with the Epiphany, and this would be a great time to do in your for your liturgics. 
get the three kings in there and uh, get them to sing, you know, We Three Kings. And because uh, a little bit, everybody's still kind of down on a little bit of the post Christmas blues. And so this is a good way to pick it all up. Maybe get uh, get small presents for uh, your Sunday school kids and uh, make it a joyous time because everybody's getting ready to go back to school. And we're about ready to hit the grind and start the year all over again. Yeah, so we're going to be talking today about that Matthew 2, 1 through 12 reading, The Wise Men from the East. And uh, and definitely, uh, there's so even though the 5th of January is not officially Epiphany, make it sort of Epiphany-ish. And, uh, and like Jake said, yeah, do the We Three Kings and do those wonderful songs. Um, do also, if you want, have an Epiphany Day service on Monday the 6th. We're doing one at St. Albans. Uh, and you can do the same reading again. It's fine. Just know that most of your congregation will not come to church on Monday. A uh, bunch of backsliders. And uh, so so give give people a lesson about Epiphany on Saturday the 5th. Tell them what it's all about. Um, and, uh, and again, I give all non-Episcopalian preachers out there permission to use the passage uh, on, from Matthew 2 on this Sunday, because it is so close to the Epiphany, and if you don't do it this Sunday, most of your congregation will not get Epiphany, which is on January 6th. Anyway, and that, that'd be a shame. That. It would so. be a shame, because it's so key. It's a key mm-hmm. feast day and mm-hmm. all that, So, and it is the end of the 12 days of Christmas. It's the, mm-hmm. it's the final time to do that. So, yeah, so, so uh, add also New Year's resolutions... That's also going to be on people's minds as mm-hmm. they're coming to church uh, Sunday, the 5th of January. Um, they're going to feel fresh, shiny, and new. Also, maybe a little ill after <laughs> December 31st uh, into January 1. Um, so just uh, pastoral things to be aware of. Well, and uh, and it opens up with a very wonderful passage to preach when it comes to failed New Year's resolutions, which mine always last about three days. And, um, and that's uh, Jeremiah 31, verses 7 through 14. And this is a, um, a, a prophetic word of God calling the people back. And, um, you know, these are people who were given a list of resolutions by Moses and uh, said that they would do it, and they didn't do it. They were given a list of resolutions again, and they didn't do it. They were given a set of resolutions again, and they just didn't do it. Israel was a people that could not keep resolutions. They could not keep the law, and neither can you. And so, but Israel was sent into exile, and this is the story, and this is a prophecy of them coming back from exile. And in this passage, you'll see the word ransom and redeemed used. And whenever you see those two words, they're always used in context together. Uh, people are coming back, not only weeping, because sometimes redemption, you weep over the past and the things you've really messed up over the previous years. And you'll have people in your congregation that that's happened to. But also there's rejoicing about the hope for the future and what does a new and redeemed life look like. And um, uh, so uh, this is a very powerful thing and it's filled with a lot of irony, like Israel be- being called the greatest of the nations. I mean, that's 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 a laugh. And there you can teach into the concept of imputation and God seeing what doesn't exist and uh, that actually creating the beloved. Um, Ephraim uh, is my firstborn. Uh, this is interesting. This is, you know, if you remember, Ephraim was a son of Joseph and uh, they were a wayward tribe and they were, they were not the firstborn. But uh, God is going to pour into these people and you who've maybe felt like a thirdborn in because of Jesus you are treated and loved as a firstborn as well. So there's a lot of gospel hope in this passage that can speak to kind of the New Year resolution burnouts from 2019 and uh, give people some hope as they face 2020. 
And there's even good news for you preachers out there. In verse 14, I will give the priests their fill of uh, fatness. So, you know, make sure you go home after church on Sunday and have a have a big bucket of KFC or whatever the uh, equivalent is for you. The uh, The other thing that they cut out of this passage, uh, the first in verse 4, which comes uh, prior to this one, is uh, biblical endorsement for the use of tambourines, mm-hmm. uh, where it says the people are going to come back. So make sure you have lots of tambourines. It is a biblical mandate. In the service, mm-hmm. because... Nothing says welcome to church like just a bunch of tambourines. <laughs> just go nuts. Either that okay. or welcome to Crescio. So, um, yeah. <laughs> Cowbell also acceptable. Really explore the space. I actually think that's what the Hebrew word was. It wasn't, ta- it was cowbell. So, yeah, um, but, um, sure. but we come to this now, this wonderful passage from Ephesians. And um, uh, Ephesians is just a wonderful, wonderful book. Um, Ephesus was, it's actually an interesting place in, 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 in the Asia Minor, um, it was a city that kind of their spirituality was very similar to Americanity. It was all about mm. you know doing good things, uh, being prosperous. Um, there was a lot of stuff like me focused and uh, you know making sure I get my fill of sex, uh, kind of you know drugs and rock and roll. But as long as it's spiritual, it's okay. And uh, there was a great temple there built to Artemides the Great. And so this is the world that uh, St. Paul is speaking to here in um, Ephesus, and he begins... You sure you're not talking about Burning Man? Yeah. It sounds a lot well, like... Well, you know, uh, Ephesus, Burning Man, Soul Cycle, it's actually all the same. So, um, but... Uh, Hashtag seculosity. <laughs> so, but, uh, and he opens up with this, blessed be God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Really interesting shift here in Paul's language from uh, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. So he's not only the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob but uh, even more so the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. And in this passage, you'll hear a lot of in Christ, in Christ, in Christ. And, uh, and this is where God does his work on you. When you are baptized, you are brought into Christ. Yeah, there's a lot of language where God, you know, this is Fleming Rutledge's big point. Mm. In your sermon, you always want to have God be the subject, not the object. So basically, your sermon should be about what God does, not what we do for God. Mm -hmm. And here, over and over and again, God is the one who is acting. Uh, Many Christians feel often a burden of just not doing enough for God, or they don't know enough about God, or they don't read the Bible enough, and those things are all probably true, uh, but putting more burden on people does not actually create a life that is devoted to God and in love with God. Mm-hmm. What we find in Ephesians chapter 1 is it is the heart of God who has blessed us. Mm-hmm. He chose us. He destined us. Uh, he has done. He lavished on us the riches of His grace. And if you, uh, you preachers, should have a goal every Sunday for people leaving church feeling like they have had grace lavished mm-hmm. on them, because that's the heart of God. Now that may not be your heart. Maybe you need to get a different line of work. But it is the heart of God to lavish grace on people. So if you feel like you're far away, if you, if your congregation feels like they're far away. Um, Remember, first preacher for you, God has lavished grace on you, and then it is his call to you to preach that to the people in your pews. Uh, and it's it just, I love how it, I, this was a big transformation for me in my thinking, because I was, uh, uh, this was back uh, when I was in seminary with Jake, um, 
I came to seminary thinking that I was going to learn how to use the Bible as a bludgeon to get people to be more obedient to God. And I would just tell them more about what to do, um, and uh, that basically being a Christian was all up to me and, and up to people. You know, it's our responsibility to kind of get it together. But what this passage makes clear, and many, many others, uh, is that it's God who is doing the action. Mm. He's the one saving you and redeeming you and sanctifying you and choosing you and loving you and redeeming you and all that stuff. And so this, it just it comes so clearly as a done deal and that God is doing the work. Yeah. Um, so and, yeah. and there's a real pastoral sense here because there, you see this word destined and the, the lectionaries tried to tame that. It's actually he predestined um, the idea. But, you know, the concept is of predestination here. It's not, you know, um, it's not that you're a robot. This is a doctrine, according to us Episcopalians and Anglicans in our 39 articles, is a doctrine of extreme comfort. And this becomes um, a real pastoral word, especially when people really blow out their New Year's resolutions, to let them know that, man, it doesn't matter how the resolutions play out. Um, uh, this is, and this is a big time, especially in the life of uh, your congregants, when they really say, this year I'm not drinking. Or this year, mm -hmm. I'm you know I like over the holidays maybe they they drank and they walked up to the pulpit and asked what are you doing up here and then they forgot about it and then you know um, their nephew told them what they did last night. There's a lot mm -hmm. of and this is the year I'm not drinking anymore. This is the year I'm doing this. This is the year I'm doing that. And when those resolutions fail, the instinct is to say, oh my gosh, God must be really disappointed with me. God must not be pleased with me. But the point here that Paul is saying in this opening section is that God is God is the God is the object, and He's the one doing the choosing. And the truth is, is that whatever happens in your life, He has predestined you to adoption as His children. He's adopted you for the good pleasure of His will and to the praise of His glorious grace that He freely bestows on us in His beloved. And that's good mm. news. Um, that is what it, you are predestined, no matter what you do, for life. And uh, that is the good news that's coming out of here. In this, and this is the this is the awakening. This is the epiphany that God has chosen you in Jesus for life. So, um, uh, and then that might be the enabling word for you to kind of actually maybe live out a resolution for the first time ever. I still haven't yet. Ooh. I still haven't yet, but I'm hoping someday. You know, this is going to be the year. <laughs> this is going to be it. Uh, yeah, so Epiphany, uh, folks, uh, you'll want to teach your congregation what that word means, uh, and it is not that hard because it's a word we still use. We say, I've had an Epiphany. Uh, it means revealing. You can translate it for your folks as having an aha moment uh, where you finally realize something that you haven't seen for a while. And what Epiphany uh, theologically is about, the aha moment, is that Jesus Christ, the Messiah, who was seen as a figure who was coming for Jewish people uh, and to save the nation of Israel is actually for the whole world. The, and now this is something that was promised and prophesied and uh, indicated, but we can often have the problem where we don't see what's in front of our faces. So the real aha, the epiphany, is that Jesus is for everybody. And the, the, the hymns and the language around this is often about light. Uh, and of course, we see a star rising in Matthew chapter 2, and that's the gospel reading that we're talking about for this Sunday, that a star rises uh, to announce this uh, king who's been born, 
And yes, he's the king of the Jews, as the passage says, but he is uh, the king of kings, lord of lords. He is for for all people. And these pagan kings uh, worship Mm. Jesus. Uh, So non-Jews, (laughs) non-circumcised, not people of the covenant, not folks who would have been seen as included. And this continues a theme that really began at Jesus' birth, the fact that the wrong people... It's all about the wrong people coming into the inside. You know, mm. Mary and Joseph being people who, yes, they were Jewish, but they were uh, poor, outsiders, not influential people, not powerful people, not near the, the centers of power in the Roman world. And then you have the first people to whom the um, the birth is announced are a bunch of shepherds out in a field. Uh, and again, those angels could have gone anywhere to announce the news, but they go to announce it to to. Uh, blue-collar truckers at the truck stop late at night. Um, and then, um, and now you have these kings uh, who are from Persia or something like that coming to worship this yeah. Jewish king. There's a lot of uh, like interesting uh, fun facts here. You know, they were magi, magicians. And uh, it's interesting, uh, Daniel was a- also a magi. He was a magician as well. And, um, and so there, there probably was some roots here, but it goes back to what you were talking about last week, um, Aaron. I think one of the, the way I would preach this too is, is a, a nature is only going to get you so far. You know, you talked about, you know, when people talk about God, they go with their gut and you were like, don't go with mm. your gut, go with how it's revealed. And it's really interesting. So they see this star in the heavens, but nature is only going to get them so far. Actually, nature leads them uh, nature alone leads them in the wrong direction. So yes, the heavens, as St. Paul says in Romans, declares uh, the majesty of God. And um, But nature actually, they're, they're still going on their gut. You know, they're going with general revelation. General revelation will tell you, um, boy, there is a God and he's really important and we better pay him homage. Uh, but uh, they still go to Jerusalem. Well, where would a king be born? Obviously in Jerusalem. What, yeah. Where they find that he's born in the armpit of this kingdom um, is in the scriptures. Um, Herod must consult the scriptures. And so they are told um, that, uh, that he will be born in Bethlehem in the land of Judah. Um, and so, but it's only the scriptures where this is revealed. Yeah, and the irony here is great because Herod is the actual king of the Jews. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and so he doesn't even know his own scriptures well enough to know where the Messiah is going Mm -hmm. to be born. The actual King of the Jews has no idea, um, what's going on. And yet these other Kings, these pagan magicians that think of Albus Dumbledore. And so if you are one of those Christians that hates magic and hates the occult and all that, and doesn't want your kids reading Harry Potter, just know that the first people that come and worship Jesus are like the, after the shepherds is basically the entire cast of Harry Potter, the entire school faculty of the Hogwarts (laughs) school of wizarding and witchcraft comes to worship Jesus. Now, so yeah. And the irony is that the pagan ones come and worship, but the the actual king of the Jews and leadership of the Jewish people do not come and worship this king. So, mm-hmm. uh, yeah. And this is, a, this, they, is for t- this is fulfilling um, Isaiah's prophecy, too, of all of the nations coming. So these, these, yep. these magi represent the nations coming. So if the shepherds represent Israel, uh, the, the wise men represent the nations coming, coming to pay homage to Yahweh, coming to pay homage to the actual king of Israel. Yeah, and I think, too, that if there's a pitfall that I want to tell preachers to avoid is please don't make this about what gifts you bring mm. the Christ child. Mm. There's a lot of preachers that always want to look for the passage to tell them, what do I need to tell my people to do? 
And again, the main news is what God has done for us, that God has sent his son into Mm. the world for us. This is what the Ephesians passage is about, and that's the big news of Matthew 2. So, uh, because uh, gold, frankincense, and myrrh are not enough, and whatever you think you can give Jesus, he probably doesn't really need. Um, uh, He's the one that comes to save you and Mm. to give you the gift of himself, and that's the big deal here. Yeah, I always, so, you know, I mean, there's there's great little fun facts here all throughout the passage. Um, you know, gold is the gift that you'd give a king. Frankincense was uh, the spice burned in the temple um, as a priest. And then myrrh uh, is what um, reflects his death. Um, but I... I yeah, yeah, because it was a spice used to wrap bodies yeah, yeah. for burial. But I always tell people, um, if you're going to... Um, this is my like kind of zinger, and feel free to take it, everyone. But I say, you know, um, so uh, what, what, what are you going to bring Jesus this year? You know, you're going to bring him your sin, and you're going to bring him all of your perdition, and you're going to bring him all of your crap, and uh, that's what you can bring him this year. And, uh, and in exchange, he's going to give you all of his righteousness, all of his grace and all of his mercy once again. So your New Year's yep. resolutions, be damned. <laughs> so, uh, <laughs> the, the Luther was famously asked, "What do we contribute to our salvation?" And he said, "Sin, yeah, and resistance." Right. <laughs> or I love uh, Mark Mattis at the very first Mockingbird conference. Somebody asked, and it's just uh, it's just rung in my um, my heart ever since then. Uh, somebody was like, so are you saying we contribute nothing to our salvation? And uh, Mark Mattis, I remember he paused like briefly, and I was like, oh my gosh, is he going to buckle here? And he was like, I take it back. You do bring something. Some of you brought hammers. Um, other of you brought nails. And uh, you all like nailed the king of the Jews to the cross. And so, uh, but that's the point. If you're going to bring anything, you bring your sin and you bring all your crap. Um, and uh, and that is really the epiphany. Um, nothing, uh, nothing to um, something or other. Simply to thy cross I cling. Whatever, however that That's song right. goes. I'm sorry. <laughs> nothing in my hand I bring. Simply to thy cross I cling. And well done. Um, there it is. But that is really the joy and the good news of the epiphany. One other thing you might want to say if you want to do kind of for those of you who are involved in kind of um, a politics in your preaching a little bit, and you're, you're, you're easing your way out. Praise God for that. That's your New Year's resolution. Ease out of politic preaching. But um, the truth is, is that Herod embodies the world. Uh, there is yep. only one place that speaks the truth, and that is uh, God in Christ who says unequivocally, I love you and you're forgiven. But the world is always saying one thing and doing another, and that is embodied in Herod. And, um, uh, you know, Herod's like, let me come and worship him, but he's got every intention to kill him. The world says, oh, I'm totally into peace, but we're really into military industrial complexes and everything else. And so um, that is one difference between the world and our Lord, is that he always speaks the truth. And the truth he has to say over you is, bring me your sin, because I love you so much anyway. Yeah. And uh, and by the way, preachers and listeners, this is more for the listeners, because hopefully the preachers who are listening know this already because of your seminary education. But uh, just if, you, if you're going <laughs> to... That's you know, so funny. That's assume. so funny. So. But uh, one thing to remember is that this story takes place several years after the birth of mm-hmm. Jesus, that this is them coming to the Christ child. We mash it all up together and have the Magi arriving when Jesus is still a baby, like basically he's, his umbilical cord is still sort of oozing a little bit. Mm. And uh, 
and and Mary has yet to deliver the placenta, and that's when uh, <laughs> that's when the wise men show up, and it's not that case. No. It, it this they say where is the child? It would have taken them a long time. I mean, even if they left like right away, it would have taken them a while. So. Uh, the tradition in the church and sort of the good understanding of this text is that Jesus is sort of a, almost a toddler at this point. Um, again, which is yeah. why Herod is going to kill the babies in the next Feast of the Holy Innocents reading at the, the rest of this chapter. He's, that's going to happen. Um, and he's going to say, basically kill all the children that are you know, between two and three years old and younger. So uh, Jesus is a toddler. Uh, and just know that because you, don't, I mean, I, you never want to give people a reason to discount your sermon because you've made a factual error in what you've said. And so don't talk about them bringing presents to the baby Jesus because he wasn't a baby anymore. Uh, you can talk about toddler Jesus. <laughs> toddler Yoda, too. So anyway. Yeah, that's right. That's <laughs> well, right. this is exactly. a good place to, I think, um, end. And so uh, next week we uh, jump right into the epiphany. And uh, But until then, enjoy um, these last few days of Christmas. And God bless you, everyone. Happy epiphany. Happy New Year. Go to the gym. Thanks for listening to Same Old Song, and we hope you found some nuggets that will be helpful either in your preaching or just in your life. If you like what you heard, we would love it if you could leave a rating or review on iTunes. Dave's all will be sad if you don't. We'd like to thank the Narrativo Group for audio production. Keep that Bible by your bedside, ready to rock and roll.